Good morning. Welcome. My name is Matt, lead pastor here at Mission View Church. Happy Mother's Day. Any mothers out there? Let's give them a round of applause. I am, I am so, so thankful for my mom. I remember as a kid, my mom hosted Bible studies ever since I was really little. And she would, she would go through the Bible. I mean, she had Bibles that were just torn up. She'd gone through them so much, and she shared God's word with me so much growing up. I am so thankful for the investment of God's word that my mom made in me. And it's a powerful impact that moms can have in our lives. Uh, Tim Griffith's here. He's a member here at Mission View Church, and he, was, he shared something with me. It's probably been about a month ago, just really powerful. And I asked him if he'd be willing to share that with you as well on Mother's Day. So why don't you give Tim a warm Mission View welcome this morning. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Good morning. So as you said, my name's Tim Griffiths. I help out with the kids' worship here. And uh, I asked Pastor Matt if I could just kind of geek out on you for a few minutes this morning on Mother's Day. Um, and it goes like this. So I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, and it's one where the people can write in and like ask questions, and they'll, they'll kind of use their resources and research and stuff to come up with the answer to these questions. And one guy wrote in and kind of had an interesting one. It said, um, if I get into a time machine, which is really how all good questions start, you know. But he said, if I get into a time machine and I travel back in time and I say a modern English word that we would all use every day today to someone, how far back in time could I go and have that person understand what I'm saying? So more simply put, it would be, what is the oldest surviving English word that's not changed over the years, right? So they set out and they employ the use of uh, some researchers and uh, professors at universities of like Indiana, Michigan, and even in Toronto. And they go back in time and they're trying to kind of guess these different words. And they said, well, what do you think the word would be? You know, kind of what are some guesses initially? And they said, well, it has to be something like basic and simple, you know, like you or me or water, or grass, you know, something that's like universal that we all understand. So they go back and they're finding all these words that are very close, you know, they're not quite exactly phonetically the same, and that's kind of the rule. We want it to be exactly the same, like we say it, they say it, they understand. And uh, there was a professor at the University of Kentucky who made an observation that a lot of modern languages have this similar words for the word mother. So he kind of went back in time, worked backwards to find some different languages, and he worked all the way back to 4,000 BCE, which is 6,000 years ago, which is like Bible times. Um, and there's a language called the Proto-Indo-European language, spoken by the Proto-Indo-Europeans, which lived on the north shore of the Black Sea in 4,000 BCE. And in their dictionary, the word for mother was something like mother or mater, so it wasn't the same, but directly underneath that, there was this word mama. And looking at the pronunciations and stuff, they could say that that would be pronounced the same way, and it means the same thing. So the answer to the question is, if you went back in time 6,000 years and said the word mama, those people would understand. And as we all know, that is the first word that a lot of we say and a lot of our babies say. So the oldest surviving English word is also the first word that we all say. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the significance is that we ask at the beginning, what would the word be, right? It has to be something simple and basic. 
And the fact that the oldest surviving English word that hasn't changed over the years is the first relationship we ever come to know, and the word we use to describe it is as simple and as basic as it can get. So with that idea, I just want to uh, say a word of prayer for the, all the mothers today, so if you'd bow your heads with me. Uh, dear Lord, thank you today. Thank you for the life that we have in you, and thank you so much for the mothers who have been so instrumental in giving us this gift of life. Uh, every one of us here has a mother of some kind somewhere, and we celebrate their willingness to give part of themselves to bring us all into existence. Lord, we also remember those mothers who are in some way estranged from their children and pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit for a supernatural healing and restoration. And God, we pray for those who the word mother does not bring about warm feelings, but feelings of pain and anxiety. And we pray now for restoration in those relationships as well. This morning, God, we thank you for mothers who had the courage to give up children so that other people could be mothers. We don't pretend to know the burden that they feel, but celebrate their respect for life and the sacrifice that they carry and support them in their decisions to honor you and their choices. And conversely, God, we want to recognize and uplift mothers who have chosen to adopt children, whether through the foster to adopt system, domestic or foreign adoption, and recognize their great, great sacrifice and how much they give so that children can have a safe and comfortable home. We pray you bless them this morning with a, a supernatural peace that can only come from you. Also, God, we recognize those who long to be mothers and feel a sense of calling to be a mother, but have not been able to become mothers. And we pray that you'd give them the desires of their heart and you'd give them people to come into their life that they can become surrogate mothers for. And Father, we also pray for mothers who have lost children, who hold their children in their hearts and not in their hands, and who have lost children later in life. God, we pray for your unique healing and understanding. While we do not know how they feel, we know that you do know how they feel as you've lost a child and can bring comfort in a way that only you can. So God, lastly, thank you for all the ways that you mother us in the best sense of the word. Like a mother hen, you keep us all under your wing, and we're grateful for that. So as a church, we want to rise and call you blessed this morning and pray for grace and peace for all the mothers and in every way and capacity. And thank you for the great gift these mothers are to all of us. And in Jesus' name we pray. We all said, amen. amen. Thanks, Tim. Mama, the oldest English word that could be recognized 6,000 years ago. It's amazing to watch a mom at work, right? I mean, it's I remember meeting my wife for the first time and getting to know her and courting her. We get married. Uh, we got pregnant like right away after we got married. And I remember bringing my, my son home and my wife like changed overnight. It, it, was, it was wild. She was, she was, you know, getting up early in the morning and she was making breakfast and doing all these things. And that has continued throughout all three of our kids. I mean, my son's a sophomore in college, and he's, she's still making breakfast in the mornings. It's pretty amazing. But the sacrifices and the investment that a mom makes is, is unbelievable. And, and it's a really awesome picture of sacrifice, selflessness, and the joy that comes from that. It's pretty amazing. Well, we are in a sermon series now in the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ruth chapter 2. 
And we've been taking this story. There's a story about a lady named Naomi. We had her husband, Elimelech. Everybody say Elimelech. Okay, I, when I heard that, the, I love that word, by the way, Elimelech. It's just fun to say. And I had somebody uh, email me after I had shared that first sermon, and she said uh, that she was singing, Elimelech, Elimelech, Elimelech. Okay, it's okay, bad, right? I, I thought it was funny, though, because the first time I said Elimelech, that's the exact same thing that went through my head. So now um, you have that for the rest of the week. You're, you're welcome. So you can be singing Elimelech all week. But um, anyways, Elimelech was Naomi's husband, and, and they moved away from, from their family. They moved out of God's place, and, and they moved to Moab. It was a bad idea. God kind of warned them against that. And then we find out that Naomi's two sons take on Moabite wives. That was a no-no. You weren't supposed to do that. It wasn't very good. So things just started to spiral out of control. I mean, have you, have you ever had one of those days? I mean, just one of those days where nothing goes right. I mean, everything that could go wrong goes wrong, and it seems like all of your plans just fall apart right at your fingertips. I mean, it, you couldn't do anything right if your life depended on it. Anybody here have one of those days? Naomi and Ruth were having that kind of day. Maybe it wasn't that kind of day. Maybe it was that kind of month. Maybe it was that kind of year, that nothing, nothing had gone right for these two ladies. It was, it was awful. It was horrible. So we're going to pick up the story here in Ruth chapter two. And last week, Pastor Adam, our youth pastor here, he, he kind of, of um, brought in a, a new character to the story named Boaz. Man, that's a great name, isn't it? Boaz. It's manly. I don't know if there's a more manly name than Boaz. It actually it means um, pillar in the temple, or it means strength. And so, so there was kind of this, this glimmer, this, this light at the end of the tunnel, and we're going to have to wait and find out if that light was a, a true light at the end of the tunnel or a train coming towards them. But uh, we're going to be spending most of our time talking about this guy, Boaz, who he was, what he stood for, and uh, what he means to uh, Naomi and Ruth. So let's go ahead and pray before we read God's word today. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. And as we open it today, we look here into the book of Ruth. Father, as we read the story, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to the truths of your word, that it would impact us, that, that it would change us and grow us and make us the people you've called us to be. Father, right now, we just say we are dependent on you the power of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit active in our lives right now. So Father, have your way in us, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's see what happens next here in our story. We'll start in verse 13 of chapter 2. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. She's saying this, is Ruth saying this to Boaz. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening 
And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. You may want to underline that phrase, Naomi says, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, the first thing I want to point out here starts in verse 14. It says this, And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain, and she ate till she was satisfied. She had some left over, and she rose to glean. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. This is really important here. The first thing we see about Boaz is this, and you can fill this in in your program as you came in. There's little fill-ins and blanks there. The first one is this. Boaz is a generous provider. We see this, this guy, Boaz, is a generous provider. Ruth didn't deserve all this stuff. Sure, Adam pointed out last week that there was provision in the law for those who had these fields, that they could leave the scraps for those who didn't have it. He said it was kind of like a food bank. If we were to compare it to what we have today, this would be like going to the food bank. So Ruth's going to the food bank. And, but what we see here in Boaz is that it's not just the scraps. Boaz is providing more. He's, he's telling his, his reapers, he's saying, hey, go ahead and leave her a bunch of stuff and do not reproach her. Do not rebuke her. This idea, if you read some different translations, do not make her blush. Don't embarrass her. Think about this. Is, this is really neat that, that Boaz is going out of his way to provide for Ruth and Naomi. It's a pretty amazing thing. This is another thing he does too, is if you notice the conversation he had with Ruth at the dinner table, you can see, you can kind of get a picture of what's going on here. Ruth is over with, you know, those who, who didn't have anything, probably on the floor in a corner somewhere, and you had this table set up where, where the Boaz's young men and, and women were that worked for him, and they're eating their lunch. Boaz says, hey, Ruth, come over here, sit at my table. Dip your morsels in the wine, caring for her, giving her a place at the table. Really, really powerful. Ruth was a Moabite. We got to remember that too. This was completely and totally unwarranted. This goes way beyond what the law required. In fact, it could be viewed as reckless or even wrong that he would, would take a Moabite woman like this. I mean, God warned that those who would marry a Moabite would be kicked out of the family of Israel for 10 generations. You know what? 
Ruth didn't deserve this kind of treatment. But neither do we in our relationship with God. God doesn't just give us life. God gives us life more abundantly. He gives us something bigger, something greater, something more amazing than anything we can imagine. You know what? God isn't some cosmic killjoy. He's the creator of joy. And I think about the, um, the story of the prodigal son. It's a story in the Bible, and I'll abbreviate real quickly, but these, these two sons and a father, the fairly wealthy father, and, and one of the sons comes to his dad and he, he says, says, hey, um, I'd like to take my inheritance, you know. I, I know it's not time yet or anything like that, but man, I got things to do. I got plans. There's, there's, there's some things out there for me, so why don't you just, why don't you, just you know, give me my inheritance now? I'm going to take off. And the father does that, gives him his part of the inheritance. And the story goes on to say that he goes off and he, he spends this inheritance on, on terrible, sinful things, wastes it away at a, a, what should have been a lifetime's worth of money. He just throws it all away, throws it all away. I mean, it gets so bad for him that he, is, he can't find a job. He's actually eating food out of a pig trough, sleeping with the pigs. And he thinks, he thinks to himself at this time in his life, he's like, man, I'd be better off if I just went back home and worked as a servant in my dad's farm or something. So he makes his way back to his father's house. And the craziest thing happens. This son who had taken an inheritance early, run off and wasted it away, doesn't come back to a dad who's angry, frustrated. The story paints this beautiful picture of a dad standing at the, the edge of the lane towards the house. And he sees his son coming from far off. And he's overcome with joy. My son, my son, you're finally home. Runs with open arms to this son who had taken his inheritance and thrown it away on sinful lusts and sinful things. And embraces him. Son's like, man, I just... I've had a rough go at it. I made some huge mistakes. I just, I want to serve. Uh, just let me work with the servants. I'll be as a servant. No, no, no. You are my son. You have an inheritance still. I'm going to take care of you. I love you. It's this amazing picture of unwarranted, unmerited grace and favor we see. You know, mercy is withholding consequences from those who have committed offense, and grace is giving unmerited favor to those in desperate need. Grace and mercy are beautiful expressions, and Boaz extends unmerited favor to Ruth in this kind and generous gesture. Boaz 
is a generous provider. The second thing we see about Boaz we find in verses 21 through 23. Check this out. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. Second, second thing we see here about Boaz is this. He is a thoughtful protector. Boaz is a thoughtful protector. Boaz was looking out for Ruth. He was a good man. Boaz was a good man. Ruth, with no husband, no brothers, away from her family and father, she had given her life over to the God of Israel. Think about this. She left Moab, the gods that she served and her family served. And she, she said that, that, that famous line to Ruth, that, that powerful proclamation of faith, really, is what it was. Your God shall be my God. Your people, my people. This was a proclamation of faith. She was leaving behind these false other gods, and she was believing in and trusting in the God of Israel. That is, that is a powerful statement. She lost everything. Ruth lost everything when she left her home, her family, and future in Moab. And she went to Bethlehem with Naomi. But God is good. God is good. He sees us when we struggle. He sees us in our suffering. When it seems like we have no future or hope, God will provide. And here, God uses Boaz to provide for and protect Ruth. You know, sometimes what God is doing in our lives doesn't make sense. Sometimes the things that, that cross our paths, the things that we have to walk through, don't make any sense until later on. Have you ever, have you ever had something like that in your life? You're like, man, well, I, don't, I don't really get this. I don't understand why this is happening. And I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. And no answer. You read your Bible. I mean, you're up early in the morning. You're opening God's Word, and you're, you're reading through the Proverbs. You're reading through the Psalms. You're reading the New Testament. Old. I mean, you're going through this. God, yeah, well, here's a great verse. I cry out day and night before you in Psalms 88, you know. I, I cry out day and night. What's going on? I don't understand this. Why? Think about, think about this. For, think about it for Naomi. Naomi moves with Elimelech, who dies. She lost her husband in a land that was foreign to her, away from family. Not only that, Naomi lost her sons. Parents should never have to bury their kids. What a struggle. Can you imagine the sense of loss and pain that Naomi was going through? Then she moves back to Bethlehem and and Ruth's the only one to stay with her. Sometimes what God does doesn't make sense until later on in life. I look back at my life and I remember so many times, so many times when I was confused, frustrated, and angry at God 
because of the things that he allowed to happen, and I just didn't understand why. And I look back at some of those things now, and they're some of the most powerful things in my life that changed me and grew me and and drew, drew me closer to God than I had ever been. God uses those things. Here's what we can say, and here's what we can glean. In God's kingdom, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. God uses everything, everything in our lives to draw us near to him. When we face things in our lives that are frustrating, that are hard, suffering and pain, we have one of two choices. We can choose one of these two things. We can run to God or we can run away from God. Naomi chose to run to God. Ruth chose to run to God. Man, it's, it's where the rubber meets the road in our Christian walk. When we make those kinds of decisions, when I don't understand what's going on, I'm like, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you. God, I am so angry about this. I can't believe you, you let this happen to me. But I, ha- I have to trust you in this. Man, sometimes it's maybe even difficult to get those words out. God, I trust you in this. It's in these times when life is a mess or when famine hits, when we lose our job, when our health fails, when our boss is on our backs, our family relationships are in chaos, when the economy crashes. It's in these times, in these times, we can either dive deep or just doggy paddle. And God is calling us closer. Now look at me real quick. Hear me on this. The hard things in this life will either be your torment or they will be your testimony. The power of Christ in the Christian life turns torment into testimony. Can I get an amen from anybody that's experienced it? We've experienced, if you've walked with Christ for any amount of time, you've experienced torment in your life. Even if you haven't walked with Christ, you've experienced torment. We know that this world isn't all rainbows and unicorns. It's tornadoes and pterodactyls sometimes. Right? So we've all experienced those things. It's the power of Christ in the Christian life that turns those torments into testimony. It's our relationship with him. You know what? The Christian life isn't isn't absent from suffering. That's, that's, That's not true. It's not all health, wealth, and joy. The Christian life, did you know that Jesus was homeless? The Bible says there was no place for the Son of Man to lay his head. Jesus had it rough. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus suffered. Why should we be any different? I'm not saying that the Christian life is all suffering either, though. The Christian life is lived in the power of relationship with God. That when we give our life to Christ, the the actual, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Hmm. You ever heard God's not going to give you more than you can handle? Anybody ever heard that? That's a lie. 
That is a lie. I promise you this. God will give you more than you can handle. I promise. But there's more to the statement. God's not going to give you more than you can handle through the power of his Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. It's not us going out there and defeating our Goliaths. It's the power of God inside of us that defeats the Goliath. You know, you, you hear that story. You even hear songs about it. Slay those giants in your life and everything else. Think about the story of David, right? Here he is, you know, some little kid. He's probably about 12 years old, 15 years old. He's got a little slingshot and some stones. He's standing against this guy who's nearly 10 feet tall, a real giant, probably a Nephilim. And he's standing in front of David. We're not David. I'm not David. Do you know who I am in that story? I'm his brothers peeing my pants on the sidelines. <laughs> David is a representative of Christ. Christ is the one who slays the giants. Christ is the one who's made a way. Christ is the one who's powerful. Jesus is the one who we worship, who we lay our lives down for, who we are on mission for here at Mission View Church. It's all about Jesus. Is God going to give you more than you can handle? Absolutely, but not anything you can't handle with him and his power. Man, you look at what Naomi and Ruth had to go through. The loss, the struggle, the suffering. Their life was a long list of fails like we watched. But God had a plan. God has a plan. So what's tormenting you right now? Who's tormenting you right now? Maybe it's a boss or a family member. Maybe some plans have fallen through. I want to tell you this. God has a plan for your life. When you don't see a future, when you're going through the famine, don't be like a Limelech. Don't move to Moab. Stay in the presence of God. Stay close to him. Run to Jesus. Maybe you don't even have the strength to run to Jesus. Go to a trusted Christian friend and say, man, I don't even have the strength to run to Jesus right now. Will you carry me to Jesus? Run to Jesus. He is our strength. He is our provider. God is using that or them to grow you to mold you and make you the person that he's calling you to be. Don't miss the rainbow in the midst of the storm. You are chosen. You are his child. And he is never, ever going to let you go. He is never going to let you down. He is pursuing you with a jealous love that will crush every idol challenge you in every way, and never, ever leave you alone. That is great and terrifying news. He is never going to leave you alone. He's going to get in your life, and he's going to mess with it, and he's going to say, hey, Matt, 
Man, you've been looking at that motorcycle a whole lot, buddy. You really want that motorcycle, don't you? How much do you want that motorcycle, Matt? Mmm, too much, Lord. Matt, how much? Man, you've been binging some Netflix, Matt. That's a lot of Netflix. Chuck's only seven seasons. Right? It's great to know that God's with you. And then it's terrifying to know that God's with you. Because he just doesn't let us go about our business, right? Because sometimes our business isn't all that good. He's in it. He's about it. And he loves us. And he's growing us and changing us. And we see it, man, we see it in Naomi and Ruth, right? See a powerful picture of that in their lives. Let's move on. Check out this conversation that Naomi and Ruth have. It's really important. It's in verse 19 and 20. It goes like this. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. Now, let me, let me kind of say this in the excitement that Naomi would have had. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi, Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. She was freaking out. Naomi was freaking out, right? The words that she used here are huge, big, powerful words. This idea, this redeemer idea is a really, really big word. Not any, here's what we need to know. Not anyone, not any guy that had a field could be one of their redeemers. Only, only a few select people. Two. Only two. One of two. Men could have been their redeemers. This was one of them. Naomi's like freaking out. They needed a Jewish man from the family of God. Naomi was losing it. Have you ever had a mom that kind of loses it? Right? We've all been there, man. It's like, maybe, maybe you're not married yet. Mom's, and mom's ready for you to be married. Hey, you want to go to Starbucks? There's this really nice young lady. Her name's Tammy. She goes to this church. Her mom's name's this. And here's her Facebook page. Check it out. Right? This is, this is really what Naomi's doing. Naomi goes from like, you know, loving, caring mother-in-law to matchmaker. This is what she's doing here. She's like, this is it. She said, Ruth, this is it. This is the guy. This is the one. And she's, she's ready to get them hitched like now. You know, Naomi's like, and Ruth's like, I was just gleaning, gleaning in the fields, okay? <laughs> I, I, I barely know this guy. He did ask me to dip my morsels in the wine, though. <laughs> right? <laughs> did anybody pick up on that, or was it just me? <laughs> right? Dip your morsels in the wine, right? Now, that was a little bit of courtship happening, if you didn't pick up on that. But here's, what, here's why she's freaking out. They might just go from famine to future, from the food bank to Fleming's. From death to life. This is what Naomi's getting at. If Boaz would be willing. If Boaz would make Ruth his wife. If Boaz is the one. Will he be the one? We're going to have to wait and see. There is another man in the story. There's another guy that comes up. Man, Naomi's 
playing the mother role to a T, though. Playing matchmaker, she's going to make it happen. She's ready for grandkids. Here's the funny thing. I, I, this isn't in my notes or anything, but um, this idea that Naomi's so excited. She's, she's ready to get them hitched, right? She's just, this is it. And I love how the text ends, right? You, you know, let me go back here. This is so funny. Like, in this section, where am I? Okay, here it is. The last line, um, or the last verse says, So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. That's like eight weeks, right? So, so think about this. Like, they have this conversation. Naomi's like super excited, ready to get them hitched like tomorrow. And she just goes and gleams for like six to eight weeks for the barley harvest and like six to eight weeks. So we're, we're talking like 16 to 20 weeks. Anybody here ever had to wait? Any, whose who's gift, who's, uh, spiritual gift is patience? Anyone? Anyone? I'm getting impatient here. Anyone? No, I'm just kidding. No, it's, it's patience is really difficult, right? But sometimes God says, Wait. Naomi's like, let's get married tomorrow. God's like, hey, look, my timing. This is going to be in my timing. It's not always easy, is it? God's, our timing isn't God's timing all the time. Six to eight weeks for each of those. Here's, here's, here's a, the reality. All of us, everybody sitting here right now today, me standing up here on this stage, all of us were at one point without a future, without provision, out on our own, unprotected, with nothing. We were all at one point the walking dead. We were walkers. But God, with great mercy and grace, breathed life into us and gave us a future. All of us. Man, maybe, maybe you were like Naomi, you were in God's family and you and your husband put this scheme together just to move off and, and solve your own problems, fight your own battles, and he's calling you back. Or maybe you're here today and, and you're like Ruth. You, you've never had a relationship with the creator of the universe. You're here today just looking, wondering. Maybe you're here with a friend or a family member and, and you've seen God in their life, kind of like Ruth saw God in Naomi's life, and you're ready to say, you know what? Your God will be my God. Where are you today? What is God doing in your life today? I want to challenge you right now. If you're suffering and you're going through something and you've moved to Moab trying to solve your own problems, moving away from God, God's calling you back to him. He's given you something more than you can handle apart from his power and his presence anyways. Come back to Jesus. Or if you're here today like Ruth, God wants to change your life. He has plans for you. The Bible says in Ephesians that before the world began, God knew your name. And he set aside good things for you to do. Nothing, nothing that's happened in your life is just happenstance. You're not here on accident. God has brought you here right now to hear this story, this powerful story of grace and mercy that paints a picture of God's love for you and me. God loves you. 
And you know, relationship with him is just surrendering your will to his. It's saying, you know what, God, I've tried this on my own. I've made my plans. I've done my thing. I did it my way, like the old song would say. And you know what? It stinks. I've totally made a mess of things. In fact, my life is full of sin. And God, I need you. I need forgiveness. I need unmerited favor and grace. And I need mercy. God's word says, come to me. God calls you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Today, God is calling you. And he says, I will give you rest. Don't go on like you have been going. Don't try and slay your own giants. Put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. There's no magic words that you have to say. It's an acknowledgement, a confession. The Bible calls it repentance, which basically means change. It's doing a 180. Man, I see that I've messed this up, that I've sinned, and I need God. Give your life to him today. This story is an amazing story. I can't wait to get into chapter 3 next week. We're going to, there's ins and outs. Like I said, this redeeming love story, it's got everything in it. There's this other guy that comes into the picture and you're worried about, you want, I'm rooting for Ruth. I don't know, anybody here rooting for Ruth? I mean, you're like, oh my gosh, she's made a decision for the Lord, you know, God protect her, you know, keep her. And here's this Boaz with the coolest name ever. He's super manly. He's like protecting her. Dip your morsels in my wine type thing. Then this other dude shows up and I'm like, man, what's going to happen? Are you on the edge of your seats yet? All right, good. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your unmerited favor. God, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But you give it anyways. Father, I just pray for everyone here. Maybe there's somebody here that's, that's just suffering, going through something more difficult than they ever imagined. God, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would change their life with your glory and your power. God, that even in this moment, they would sense your presence in the way they've never sensed it before. God, that your Holy Spirit would be the comforter that you promised to be. Come and comfort those suffering. Draw them near to you. And for those here that don't know you, Jesus, reveal yourself to them in their hearts that they would come to know you, that they would surrender their lives to you. And for us here that are Christians, God, help us to continually surrender our will to yours that we would walk in the way that you call us to walk. We give you all the glory, all the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.